Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Tomorrow is opening day. This morning, then I have a great hunt. Deer didn't move like usual. Yeah, we just got set up in the middle of this bedding thicket. Oh, it's saving this spot from the rut. It's a nice, I think it's a nice buck. It's a 170. That was money. I think he's down right up there. 10 yards. Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. Coming in your ear holes. You made it another week closer to deer season, guys. I am getting so excited for season, um, getting those cams out. Been scouting some velvet bucks on a really good one, on another potential decent buck. Hopefully they hold, um, but one's got some gnarly brows on them already. I love love seeing that. So getting pretty excited for season. Today's episode, I talk with Reed Smith, um, and this is about his, you know, what he's doing. He's been learning, you know, been hunting public land, getting into the mobile game, doing all the things that everybody's out there doing. Had a really successful year and then struggled last year. Um, and, you know, he kind of goes into, you know, don't get too cocky, never stop learning, um, and digs into some really, you know, some things that he wish he would have tried next year. Goes over a couple of his buck stories in 2021 and where he found success. 
and how he got, you know, got a little antsy and, and uh, then in 22 and 22 struggled a little bit and what he's going to change this year and what he changed that, that following year to, uh, to make this upcoming season uh, the best one yet. But before we get into that, let's get into the people that make this possible. And you know, that is Exodus outdoor gear going to give you guys my Exodus um, update. So you guys know that I have got the cell cams out with the solar panels right now. They're ripping and rolling. Those were mainly to protect um, some trees that were marked on private property for, uh, as a logger from the neighbors. The property line wasn't marked. It's pretty vague. Um, um, so I will be moving those, but they're still out there ripping and rolling. Um, but one thing I want to talk about is this year I invested in 53 combo little locks. Um, and someone would look at this little lock and it doesn't look like much. Um, they're actually, I did a break test on one. They're actually pretty damn strong, surprisingly of how cheap they were. Um, but it's just a three little dial combo lock and it's to lock all the doors on the cameras that I have that have locked to stop losing SD cards, whether it's private land or public land. <coughs> they work perfect for that. I, I got them all set with the exact same code. You don't have to carry a bunch of keys that way. Um, they're very, very reasonable on Amazon. Um, and that's something that I just purchased as well. I purchased a lot of people are running cable. Um, cable is fairly expensive if you buy all the fittings to to make it work to where you can put a little lock through there um, but I found some black coated chain that is uh, pretty dense pretty strong um, uh, you would have to break the camera off the tree break the plastic before the chain would break um, so I will be chaining every one of my cams as well and locking them um, with you know they have the the top for the uh, the cable, the, the, the Python locks, uh, those are just too expensive. You can buy this chain by the foot, black-coated chain. Um, I think it has a 180-pound rating on it, pretty reasonable price. I bought 100 foot of it um, to start, and I'm just going to you know, start cutting them in, in three-foot links or whatever and, and use them to, to, to get on the trees, maybe have a couple longer ones in my bag in case I get into a big tree, but... I'm very tired of even investing, you know, in any cam, even if it's a cheap one, an expensive cam, and, and losing that cam. Um, so I'm going to eliminate all that, eliminate the uh, the even the urge to steal something because everything that I have out will be locked with the door um, and locked onto the tree. Um, and, and I try to do this as like the most the most solid and cheapest I could. And this is what I've I've figured out was that black chain, that black coated chain, with those three um, dial combo locks. Um, so that is my Exodus update. I got all that in. I got all the uh, the fifty set. You know that took forever. Combo set and fifty little padlocks. Um, got my some of my chain cut. And uh, just kind of going on my map and figuring out where I want to um, divvy out some cams. I am going to dedicate two of my cell cams specifically to my son and let him pick where he wants to hang them. Um, <clears throat> have him go out scouting with me. Even if I think it's kind of a bad spot, I'm going to let him pick and learn something that he can, you know, we can look at every day and kind of see what's on there. Ask him if he wants to move it. Ask him if he doesn't want to move it. 
um, something to have him engaged and something that, like I said, it feels like he's in the game and he's actually hunting these deer as well and not just using what I'm doing. Um, so two cans will be specifically for him, wherever he wants to hang them, whatever property he wants to hang them. That's going to be his, his thing to decide. So that's another thing I'm going to do, but that is the Exodus update. And, uh, let's get into the episode. All right. We got Reed Smith on the line. How you doing tonight, brother? Hey, I'm good, man. How are you? Doing good, man. Appreciate you coming on. Um, we kind of met, um, cause we were kind of hunting some of the same bucks, uh, some of the same areas. And then we actually got to meet at the, uh, Illinois, uh, deer classic show. Um, nice to actually meet you and put a face to the name. Um, and I actually did a video and you kind of picked out where I was at and what property I was at, which was kind of cool. And then we kind of chatted about that, but I wanted to have you on and, uh, pick your mind about whitetail a little bit. So appreciate you coming in, dude. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, so before we get right into the content, go ahead and let the listeners know a little bit about yourself. Uh, so, obviously, I'm Reed Smith. Um, lived in Illinois my whole life, uh, kind of central Illinois, north central Illinois. Uh, I've been hunting since I was about 10, kind of the basic story. Uh, grew up turkey hunting, deer hunting, same type of thing. Um, I'm pretty young still, still trying to get a few bucks under my belt. Um, so far, pretty new to the mobile game. Uh, I've been mobile hunting for pretty seriously for the last two years or so. So still trying to get everything kind of dialed in, but, you know, put several hours into podcast scouting, just getting out there and trying to get better. So, yeah, you've, you've got a couple nice bucks on the ground, um, especially like you said, for your age. And it seems like you're, you're on the good deer. It's, I was, I was there for a long time too. I'm still there. Like, when you're on the really good deer, but you're just right on the edge of turning that corner to, you know, killing, 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 killing. Um, that's a hard spot to be and that's where you're at. But like I said, I was there, I'm still there on a lot of bucks, you know, but I sneak them out <laughs> somehow every year I sneak one in there. Um, oh, yeah. but, uh, going into, um, uh, this season, you know, what, what is, you know, some of the biggest things from last season that you learned you know, trying to transition into this mobile game and transitioning into hunting a lot of public land. What What's a couple of big things that you learned that you're going to take into this year? So a couple of the big things, um, mainly like locating deer. Uh, so past few years, I've always kind of ran trail cameras, <clears throat> kind of thinking like, how am I going to pattern this deer? Like, how am I going to run cameras and able to check them without spooking this deer? I don't want to get in there, spook this deer, bump this deer, have them go to the neighbors or adjacent public or something like that. Um, for me, it's really transformed into once I know that deer's there, trying to find where that deer's bedding. Um, I've listened to several guys, Jake Bush, that kind of idea of once you find that deer is there, work your way in slowly, try to find where he's at. Um, whether that's farmland, swamp, you know, big country, that kind of thing. Um, for me, it's really just been branching out cameras. Uh, I mean, this year I'll be, running probably 50 60 cameras um which is a lot of money batteries <laughs> yeah but uh really just trying to find deer um illinois public a lot of people i know a lot of guys that i've talked to kind of shrug it off you know oh it's not that good i know 10 people that hunt that same place and this year i've seen a lot of pressure on public um i don't know if that's just like the increase of youtube shows and podcasts stuff like that people listening I've definitely found a lot of people in those harder to reach places because that's where everyone talks about, right? 
Um, one thing for me is going to be branching off and hunting and throwing cameras out close to the parking lot. Uh, this year I found a lot of deer, a lot of big deer right next to the parking lot. And I think that's honestly just a contribution of people going deeper on public, trying to find those super thick areas, bumping those deer out. And those deer are just going to sit right there and watch you pull in. But um, I, I'd say that and hunting low. Um, I was always very skeptical of hunting low. Originally, uh, Cody DeQuistio started listening to their podcast. I didn't think that you could hunt that low without them seeing you. This year, I started doing that. And for one, their adrenaline rush is crazy. I've never had anything like that. But two, you don't need to hunt 20 foot high for me to be able to get close to deer. Um, I've definitely had good success this year hunting low. It's quicker, quieter. And like I said, gives you an insane adrenaline rush. But those are just a couple of things I'm going to be working on this year. So Yeah, I'll, I'll touch base on a couple of those. First, the, the hunting low, that's something that I was real – like back in back in the day when I hung stands, I wanted to be as high as I physically possibly could, and I think that um, like most hunting, it's situational. So if you're doing the kind of style where you are and you're going into like a bedding area or something, you're normally in a thicker environment where the deer can't see a long ways, um, and you can't see a long ways. You know, in a lot of those instances, so. I think hunting low in wherever you have the cover is beneficial there, but like on an ag field, I still like to get as high as I possibly can just because I feel like those deer can pop you um, from a long ways away or if I'm like in a CRP field on the edge of that transition, I like to get kind of high or at least be in really good cover. Um, that's where I've found success, but um, I'm everybody's like, you use three sticks, four sticks. I have five sticks total that I can take. A lot of times I only use three Sometimes I use two with aiders. Just depends on the tree and where I feel comfortable. But you got to think of how many bucks are killed every year out of a 10-foot ladder stand, you know, in, in a tiny tree in the middle of nowhere. Um, so I think it's more about location and, you know, your movement in general um, for what the deer see. Because I feel like a lot of people move too much in the stand, and I catch myself doing that a lot, especially when I was filming. I would move a lot you know, just getting shots, getting shots. And last year I tried to rope it in to where everything's tighter. Got a smaller camera arm, trying to make my profile as small as I possibly can to, you know, hopefully not get busted by a lot of the does that I normally get busted by. It seems like those, those does are keen, especially those public land does are keen on, you know, looking up, especially if you're like on an ag field or something, there's probably been a guy in the exact tree in that corner of ag that you already that hunted there before, you know? So oh yeah, they're definitely looking up. And a lot of the places we hunt, you know, the trees are kind of limited. And if you're in a tree that can get a stand in, it's there's not a lot of cover in it. So you're kind of sticking out like a sore thumb because there's no other trees around you. So it's tough. But uh, going back to your cameras, um, like I said, I know I know a lot of people have been saying that close to the parking lot. We've been saying that for a couple of years now, and it's like you said there. People are pushing out so far into these public lands, and like you said, they're going further and further and deeper and deeper. And people, more people are getting mobile, more people are ground hunting, more people are you know have really light setups or saddle hunting, so they're able to go really far. Um, and it's definitely changing the way that the deer are reacting on the ground that they normally are there. 
back in the day they were really deep and there's still some deer really deep but you can have really good hunts better hunts close and little out of the way pockets than you can really far deep is what we're seeing we killed that buck opening evening um two years ago and it was literally like a a 20 acre block of timber kind of out of the way and he daylighted 17 days in a row in that 20 acre block of timber you know and it's wasn't very far from the parking lot so it's kind of in the middle of two parking lots uh, but just overlooked spot those are easy to talk about but they're harder to find but once you find one you run a cam in there and you realize what the deer are doing you can kind of you know it's kind of a bread and butter situation because it's easier like you said it's easier to get to it's easier to set up in you know you can be more quiet because you're not going way back in there you're bumping less deer it's kind of a win-win situation and for like you hunting a bunch of different properties if you're going in somewhere new sometimes it's better to hold off and not go all the way to where you think the deer are on the first sit because there might be a lot of stuff you're bumping on the way in yeah absolutely and one thing i've definitely noticed is for me i used to i used to take the wind way too much into account um obviously you want to be downwind of the deer you want to have the wind in your favor but i started i used to be obsessed with the scent away products the scent control products anymore i honestly don't use any of them um maybe if i'm freshening up a scrape or something like that but i've noticed definitely when i'm scouting or if i'm going in for a hunt 100 percent having wind in my favor the entire time i'll go the long way um i know watching a lot of jake bush he'll go miles to get 500 feet from the parking lot just because he knows those people are going to be following that main trail as opposed to going all the way around uh, i know one public piece i had this year uh, brand new i never set foot on it me and one of my buddies went there and he went one way i went the other way i looked at the map and i was thinking it's right next to these homes i'm like i really doubt people are going back there so i went to the far back as far as i could followed the fence line from the ag field came all the way back around and i ended up bumping a really nice buck out of there i should have set up closer but part of me just wanted to get a little bit closer to get a better shot and sure enough i bumped that bed that buck probably 20 yards out of his bed and for me yeah obviously it kind of sucked didn't get to shoot that buck but it really for our intention to like i knew what i was kind of doing you know trying to find those bucks beds going all the way around wrapping yourself around whether it takes crossing a creek or two or a giant hill people aren't going to want to do that um i definitely know a lot of people nowadays are trying to do that because that's what everyone talks about in the podcast but like i said i think it's definitely situational um people i don't think wanted to hunt right next to those houses uh those houses were 80 to 100 yards away they probably get a lot of human pressure but they don't see a lot of people coming from the public so i think definitely that paid out in my favor but yeah, I, I agree. I think that people, like you said, people aren't afraid to put the work anymore for, for whitetails because that's kind of the trend right now. But people are almost going too hard and missing the easy stuff on the edges. And uh, that's where we've been coming in and, and kind of scooping the last you know few years is those those easy edge, easy edge spots. And then, you know, people are in the rut and, you know, you might be out there struggling in the rut and people are like, oh, there's going to be, 13 people in that pinch point and then you get back there and there's nobody because everybody thought that someone was going to go to the pinch point that's on this property that's a dead giveaway so nobody went 
because everybody thought there'd be somebody there, and then you're the only guy there. Is what I'm seeing. Um, so those spots that are just like, I know this is going to be good, but there might be a bunch of people there. Those spots, there's not people there anymore because people were. There's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of information out there, and everybody's trying to decipher it and make their own game. But those like OG original spots that are just solid during the rut are still solid, and there's no people there on public because they, everybody thinks that it's going to be overrun. Um, we've had really good success, and just you can see it way out on a map. Like, there's the pinch point. Let's go in there and hunt. And it's normally in the morning before 9 a.m. There'd be a giant come through there, you know, trying to get to another doe group before before bedding down that that midday. But uh, as for your cameras, you said that you're you're spreading them out a lot. Um, where, what's your kind of go-to setup to try to locate these bucks? Are you just kind of doing the shotgun pattern, or are you strategically placing them using scrapes? What is your what's your logic on that? Uh, so the majority of the time, if I go to scout a place, uh, I'm going to follow the ag. Then once I find a trail, it's it depends. Um, early season, a lot of deer are going to use the same travel path. Um, I found a lot of buck beds from just following that main trail, branching it off. You're going to put a lot of miles on, but once you find that buck bed, you're going to be able to kind of pinch, pinch down where he's going to be. So a lot of times people say, you know, August, September, you get a buck on camera. He's not going to be in that same area. Sometimes it's true, but honestly, recently I've kind of just got rid of that. Um, he's obviously probably not going to be using that exact same bed, but if he feels safe in that position he still has food water cover i think he'll probably stay in that spot um i know this year i had a still at 100 and i think he ended up going 192 and found his bed during the summer put up cameras and i was blown away when i found what he was um i just started branching out cameras on scrapes uh 90 of the time that's what i'm running my cameras on because you're gonna hit that year round um, private land, I don't have a lot of ag to run cameras on. I have a couple fields here and there, and I will run cameras on those, but that's mainly just to capture those travel routes. And I'll still put a scrape on that edge there. Um, usually it just gives, you know, a buck something to check going by, gives you a better still picture. Um, but from there, I'm just going to branch out. Islands are huge on public land from what I've been finding, um, Bucks are going to bed out in the middle of nowhere on an island because nobody goes out there. There's no trees to hang in. You might be hanging in a five-inch diameter tree, and nobody else can do it because they're hunting in ladder sands or using climbers or something like that. It might even be better to hunt on the ground. And I've definitely found islands. Bucks are going to be hitting those islands in broad daylight. I This last year, I had a lot of bucks hitting islands midday, and people are hunting... 200 yards away, but they can't see that island because whether terrain or just CRP grass that are just too tall, they can't see that deer. So that's definitely one thing I'm going to be targeting this year is those islands. Yeah, those islands, is, those uh, those little spots like that, I've, I've also had really good success on, you know, running cams in those on the scrape and getting a lot of like that after nine, midday kind of movement where a buck's kind of went through the area and then now he's kind of bumping that island uh, to see what's in there and then he might hang out in there the rest of the day he might might roll out um but those little little pockets like that are really good to check out and run cams i'm probably 
the same way on like the scrapes, man. If if it's not in like a a pinch point or a fence crossing or something like that, creek crossing that I'm running the cams, I'm probably gonna throw a scrape up because, like you said, whether they hit the scrape or not, it's not gonna be unnatural that it's there. And if you can pull them that way to even investigate it, because pretty much I don't know what it is about bucks or and does in general. Like if you go out there and rake the ground all up, they like to just go over there and like sniff around, like and check out what what why is why is all this brush gone and what's different, and uh, you almost always get at least that buck hitting it that scrape one time. He might not come back, but he's at least going to go over there and check it out like one time and and kind of feel out. And that's all you're really trying to get is where's a buck that I want to chase, you know that I'm I'd be happy with shooting. You get them on camera, and then you kind of can, like you said, you can broadcast out from there and bread trail back to wherever you're going. So, in that scenario, you're, let's say you get you got a really big one on on cam. What's what what are you gonna how are you gonna go about that? Are you gonna pull assets and and shotgun a bunch of uh, cams? Are you gonna try to find the bedding first, or how are you gonna go about that? So it really depends on the situation. Obviously, if I know exactly where that deer's bedding let's say it's an island or Syracuse field or right on the neighbors. And I know he's going to be coming, checking that scrape. I'm not going in there. If I keep continuously, let's say I have a cell camera in there or even a card camera that I can get, get in there, check it, get out. That way I know that deer's not smelling me. I know he's not going to get spooked. If I know that deer's hitting that every single day, there's no need for me to go in there and check that camera or try to put other cameras up. Um, if that deer's kind of hit or miss, like sometimes he's, you know, midday sometimes he's three in the morning i'm gonna go in there broadcast out i'm not gonna run a ton of mock scrapes um just because that gives them so many different options to go to uh, i'm gonna try to branch it down but i'm definitely gonna run definitely gonna run uh sorry we just had a call we're calling um but from there i'm just gonna branch out and uh See if I get him on some outliers. There might be something I'm completely missing that I'm thinking he's running straight to the scrape, you know, 9 o'clock every single night. Come season, oh, he's going to be there last light. And sure enough, I get him pick a mile away on the other side of the public land, right by the road. There might be something you're completely missing, and you're just relying on that one camera. Um, I would definitely say branch out, um, unless you know for sure that deer's moving from point A to point B every single night, I'm going to run other cameras. I'm not always going to worry about bumping that deer, um, especially public. There's so many different public land spots in Illinois, especially, um, whether what state you are. Run cameras on all those. That's what I'm doing this year. Um, you bump one deer. Let's say you, you go in there, you can kill a deer. You can bump them. If not, the next day, if you have a good win, go to the next spot. <sighs> So that's one thing I'm going to be focusing on this year, not so much focusing on one deer. Yeah, that's that's kind of was my strategy for a long time on the public land is, you know, you got to get a lot of targets out there because it's a completely different game. But it's now that I'm transitioning, I picked up more private and I'm transitioning back to private. I'm still hunting some public, um, but I'm going to go back to that kind of strategizing on a couple bucks and uh, and you know, trying to just neck down on those. I feel like I'm way better at doing that than doing what you're doing. And a lot of that is the time that it takes to do what you're doing. Like when you're running that many cams and on that many different bucks, just to get the Intel is a full-time job. Um, 
and you're a younger guy, no kids, you're out there just ripping, dude. And I was, I was right there just a few years ago, you know, right there with you. Um, so it's a different game for me now where I kind of got to, I'm going to be a little more selective and, and kind of pinpoint my bucks, um, and, and go about that route and see how it works this year. You know, it could be, I could go back, transition back. That's the best thing about hunting is if something ain't working, you can, you can move and, and make something happen pretty easily. Uh, how soon are you getting your cameras out this year? Uh, so I have a couple out right now, cell cams. I'm trying to hold off. I, I'm running more solar panels this year. Um, than I ever have, which it will help me on the battery life. But, uh, I hate having to change batteries. Like when they're dying, like mid October, first of November. Um, and if I get the cams out now, that's like when they die. Um, so I'm trying to push it back to late July, you know, maybe start some of my sale, my uh, cells with, uh, with solar panels third week of July. Um, but that's about when I'm going to start doing stuff. But I have been velvet scouting in areas where I think deer will hold. And there's reasons why I think, just like you said, some deer will stay and some deer will leave. And I believe that if you kind of see just year after year what the general population of bucks do in an area, like if, if you have a property where a lot of your deer leave, there's a pretty good chance that the buck that you you know that's there is going to leave. But if you have a property that you've been hunting for three or four years running cams on and 90% of the bucks stay and there's a new buck there, he's probably going to stay because, like you said, there's a reason. There's does, there's food, there's cover. He doesn't have to really trans, you know, make that summer move to something better. Um, and I've been scouting some velvet bucks. One that's like one of those, like, is he a late grower? He's got really good brows you know, like real, real good brows, but it's like, is he a late grower or is he, you know, going to fill out? And then one really, really solid buck that I've been on pretty heavily, not running any cams on them. Um, hoping that they're hold out, but still going to throw some stuff up there. Probably, like I said, third week of July. So when, when do you plan on getting most of yours out? Um, like I said, running a lot of cameras this year, probably 50 to 60 cameras, you know, might be a little irresponsible and buy 10 or 20 more, but, uh, we'll see. Um, I want to get all mine out. I would say by October for sure, just because I'll be putting cameras out while I'm scouting in October as well. You know, just trying to find new places. If I don't have something locked down by October 1st, I mean, I've tried to do it before. I've tried to say, hopefully I can knock one down the first week of October. Uh, I've had a bucks pattern. I think it was going to be butter and kind of needed that to knock me down a little bit. I was getting a little, a little too cocky and confident, but um, needed to humble myself out a little bit. But uh, I'm hoping to get majority of my cameras out by mid-August. Um, just because, like you said, that first camera, uh, change that first battery chance is going to be like right before October or mid-October. Um, some of the places I hunt, they're October only. So pull your cameras up into that, find new places for them. Um, unless obviously you have a buck lockdown, then majority of the time, that's where I'm going to be placing my hunts. Uh, I honestly, if I have a day off, I'm going hunting, um, whether that's public, if I have a buck lockdown, I'm private and it's not a good win. I'm not going to hunt that. Um, but if it's public and I can 
make a good wind, if that makes sense. Um, hanging, hunting, being able to move around that deer. Um, you never know. He might be using a backdoor you didn't even know about. You might be hunting the same spot over and over again. And then one day you get a weird wind. You're like, ah, screw it. I'm going to go over here. Hopefully I don't bump them, but you never know. I'm going to try that. So that's one thing this year. I'm definitely going to be a little bit more riskier just because I have so many more spots. Um, definitely going to branch out and try to get more aggressive on deer. Yeah. That's the best thing about public land and running as many cams as you have. You have those burner bucks where you're like, all right, I'm going to go after this one. If I burn him cause it's warm or the wind ain't perfect. I have some other bucks to go on. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, um, just with me and you talking, I, I think you're pretty close to where I live. I, I found a really good piece that's about an hour from here that just opened up and uh, I scouted it pretty heavily and I don't think I'm going to hunt it a lot. I'll hook you up with the maps, dude. I think I found a couple money spots that a guy like you would be able to drive to it and maybe make some magic happen. And I maybe might run down there and just throw some like red cams up just to, to see kind of what's on the property. Um, but dude, it looks good. looks really good. Um, so remind me before we get off, I'll, I'll send you that shit and you'll be able to maybe swoop down there for a hunt or two. Cause it looks really good. Yeah. Really I need as much hope as I can get, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You never, you never pass up with that. I just sat, I just know it's for me, it's too far of a drive for one. And for two, it's, it might be something that I can hunt like twice a year. And it's always cool to, to group up with a guy on a, on a bigger piece of public and kind of work together anyways. Um, because it's it's hard to pinpoint those bucks by yourself out there, um, and that's what the hunting is about camaraderie. So especially with this new piece, um, I looked. I think there's only three hundred. It opened up last year, and there's only three hunters on it all year. That even oh, signed, wow. signed in to hunt it, dude. And it's a big it's a big piece. So when I heard that it opened, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I went down there, and um, one deer was shot off of it in the three hunters i was like holy shit this, oh. could, this could be money and it hasn't been open for years before that um and there's an outfitter that's that has signs all hung up on the neighboring property just to the north of the public land 
So I'm like, there's probably some pretty good bucks in here if this guy's leasing all this ground for an outfitting company, you know? Um, and then all the, uh, it was funny when I scouted it, all the private land had all the stands right on the edge of the public because no one could be in there hunting, you know? So, <laughs> so all this yeah. stuff was like right on the edge of the, the public when, when normally all the public stands are right on the edge of the private. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it was like the adverse effect because it was strictly waterfowl before that. And they just opened it up to, uh, to bow hunting. So I'll, uh, I'll hook you up. It's, it looks like a pretty, pretty good spot, man. I found a couple water pinches. I love water pinches. Um, a couple really good water pinches, heavy crossings on them. I'm like, yeah, going to ag, it's setting up real good. So oh, yeah. they're leaving they're a lot of, swamp bucks. yeah, they're leaving a lot of standing ag for those ducks and stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's going to pan out real nice. So, so your 2021 season, you had a hell of a season that year. Um, uh, you, you killed a buck in October, right? Late October. Yep. And then you killed another one just a few weeks later. Is that correct? Yep. Sure yeah. did. Yeah. So what that was, that was like your, was that your first year kind of mobile hunting and, and getting into that style of hunting when you killed those two bucks or just kind of go into that? What, what led to that successful that year? Yeah. So before that, obviously I kind of knew what mobile hunting was didn't really implement it. Um, I just kind of thought in the back of my head, I know there's public out there, but I had private. So why would I need to go to the public? Um, a lot of the time it would be, Oh, there's deer moving here midday. I'm going to take down my, you know, metal aluminum 20 foot stand, clink it, be loud as can be and not see deer the rest of the night because I moved my stand 50 yards this way and made a bunch of racket. You know what I mean? So it's just, for me, it just made sense. Uh, I started listening to more podcasts, stuff like that. You know, I bought a couple of different mobile setups. Uh, some of them were kind of not very practical if you're trying to get on a bedded buck or something like that, but a lot more mobile than trying to move a 20-foot ladder stick stand. Um, so, yeah, um, the first buck I killed, I'd seen that buck. I almost killed him a year before. Um, actually, I was walking to my stand, and uh, he was about 35 yards away out in the timber, and I was right on the field edge. I tried creeping, almost got a shot at him. The doe took him another way. Um, he ended up being six, six and a half the next year, um, or what I'm thinking. Ended up getting right up real close to his bed. I knew he was betting on the neighbor's CRP, and I got pictures. I didn't check my camera yet, but I figured he was checking the scrape I made. Um, so I got in there, didn't even check my camera yet. Got up, I was probably 12 foot up. Had an amazing cover in this tree. Not a real big tree, but the leaves were still on. It was October 23rd, I believe. And uh, sure enough, the neighbor was combining his beans. And I just thought, you know, night's ruined. They're 200 yards away from me. I'm not going to see anything. Might as well go home. It's 65, 70 degrees out. I'm wearing short sleeves. Had a couple of little bucks come through. And it kind of boosted my confidence a little bit. And, you know, they're seven yards from me walking right past the trail. I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe we'll see something. Might as well just stay out here. And sure enough, I, I didn't want to put my camera arm up. That's that's how like confident I was, you know? And sure enough, I was like, you know what? I'm going to put it up. Might as well. Put it up. And at the, phone, at the time, I was using a iPhone 13. Throw that on there. And no sooner as I tighten that strap down, I look up and I just see rack coming through. And I'm like, oh boy, that's him. No doubt, there is no other deer that had that big of a like frame of a rack coming through. Sure enough, I look, it's him. 
he's coming right to me. So I grab my bow, get ready, walks right to me. He was headed right to that scrape too. And this is an hour before dark probably. Comes in, gets about 22 yards. And I think my thermals might have been switching up a little bit right right at that time because he kind of put his nose up in the air, started licking his lips. I wasn't going to give him another chance. Took another step, broadside, smoked him, ran probably 25 yards. And, you know, stood of a deer, mature deer, my first biggest buck, and that really opened my eyes up to mobile hunting. Uh, then a couple weeks later, actually ended up passing the buck that ended up shooting because he was a four-year-old. I was like, ah, he's a nice deer. I already shot a deer this year. I should probably pass him up. Well, probably two weeks later, November 12th, I think it was, used my XOP climbing sticks, get up probably 10 foot up in the air. Sure enough, this buck comes running in, grunting, snorting, chasing other deer off, chasing a doe. I, it just got me so pumped up, man. I was like, I'm, I don't need to apologize to anybody for shooting this deer. Solid deer. And uh, sure enough, ran right in the range. He, he came on the trail right past me and ended up shooting him about 10 yards. Um, just super gentle and packed hunt and still not sorry. <laughs> I ended up shooting that deer, but uh, like I said, he's a four and a half year old deer. He honestly probably scored better in my first one. First one meant more to me. Um, but like I said, 2021 was a great year. Um, I kind of let off on the cameras. I definitely should have kept running cameras and just kind of got, you know, a little too cocky, thought I uh, knew more what I did, but kind of helped me this last year, kind of helped me realize you're never, you're never done learning. Um, always run cameras, even if you tag out, Yeah, just something yep. to consistently learn. So, yep, that's, that's key, man. And like I said, that's, that's why when I first chatted with you, I could, you know, I could tell you have the passion, but you're also, you're, I was, I was at the stage where you're, and I'm still there where you're just trying to get any tidbit of knowledge. You're completely obsessed in the game of, of whitetail hunting. And you got a little bit of taste of that success and you just want it and want it and want it. Um, and, and you're get there, dude, you're putting the work in to do it. But that, that first buck you killed giant body on that thing, dude, absolute tank of a buck. And during that time frame, man, I, for mature deer on scrapes, there is no better time in the whole entire year than that 10 8 10 day stretch in october to kill them on a scrape like it's just that's when they're really really hitting those and then after that i feel like they don't hardly hit them at all like they're just i mean they can't they might they might hit them at night but there ain't gonna be any more daylight activity on scrapes after that halloween time for for me it just seems like they're they're too worried about does at that point but during those you know that 20th of october to you know the 31st they're so bent up with testosterone and they are their only release is like to go hit this scrape to see if maybe a doe came in early or something um so you know hunting the scrapes that time of the year is is my go-to that's my my it's either first thing in october like the first few days if you still have one hitting one you know on a summer pattern or or that that last week october i'm transitioning to consistently good scrapes because where that buck was hitting that scrape you know it's been a couple years now i would run a cam on that scrape because there's probably another buck that's going to be hitting it there in that same time period oh yeah absolutely and that's this one jumped right in uh, i think the buck i killed was definitely the dominant buck in the area he was the bully buck this one jumped in and from what i was seeing he was running off all the younger bucks 
Um, so I think that's honestly how I killed that deer. Got in the same area he was working. And I think that's a lot of people overlook. Like, they'll kill a good deer in a spot, kind of move on. I'm like, what? You know, at least continue watching that spot because another deer could jump right in there. Um, I definitely noticed a lot of people talking about that. If you have the right habitat, the right cover, and that box is pushing other bucks out, as soon as he's gone, you don't think another deer is going to move right in there? Yeah. That's that's one thing I've been watching, and yeah, I've that... definitely – See that, it come true. That happens so much, man. You kill you kill a good one, there's another deer in there, maybe that year or the next year for sure. And then it's like if it's if it's a good area and nothing changed, there's always gonna be solid bucks. There might not be like a mega giant, but there's always gonna be solid bucks in that area. I got one pinch that if someone wanted to kill a three and a half year old buck in Illinois, I could literally go anywhere from November first to the fourteenth you got a pretty damn good spot to go set this pinch and kill one of those bucks, have an opportunity, you know, and, and every year I throw a can back in there and it's still those smaller bucks. But I'm like, one of these years, there's going to be a giant in there. Cause there's a reason, oh, yeah. there's a reason why all these bucks are so adamant in daylight in this pinch. Like, and there's hunters that go through there. I get hunters on cam in that area. Um, but it's a spot that I'll consistently run a cam just cause, it's it's really really good like it's just one of those spots that they're going to be there no matter if there's hunter pressure or not they're they feel really confident in that area and it's a pinch that's close to doe bedding which is an absolute you know rut hunter's dream if you can get in both of those you're you're in the zone um but one thing i really liked that you said was you know you're never done learning and uh you know you you learned that even if you tag out you need to run those cams and that's something that we've said, I don't know how many years, there's nothing more valuable than past season data. So maybe you killed your buck. Just let the cam soak. There's no reason to go out there and get them, you know, and just let them run and collect that data. You're getting intel for not only next year's kill, but the year after that, the year after that, the year. I mean, you're just getting so much from that one year um, that it's so valuable and you only get, Sometimes public changes and you only get like a couple years where it's really good. And then it kind of, you know, the pressure's there or some bucks get killed and it kind of gets worse and worse and worse. Um, so having that intel where you miss a year can really, you know, shortchange you on killing in that follow year, following year. So, Yeah, I've definitely noticed the year after year thing. Um, it would have been 2017, got pictures of a really nice three-year-old. Ended up passing that deer, probably shouldn't have at the time. Uh, didn't really have a ton of deer, just got caught up in the, you know, watching the big YouTube shows, Midwest Whitetail, stuff like that. And uh, passed a lot of deer I probably shouldn't have. But that deer ended up making it until about six and a half. But when he was five, ended up getting pictures of that deer within two hours on the exact same deer, exact same year, um, exact same spot a year later. And I, I just really opened my eyes up. I'm like, holy crap, like, I should have been there watching this deer. I never believed, you know, this year's going to be in the exact same spot a year later. And then the next year, he was 300 yards away, almost the exact same time within minutes of the year before. It really opened my eyes up to this deer has these does locked down. They know when they're coming into heat. And I don't know, do you put a lot of effort into tracking back when fawns are born to where – you know, there's a resident doe um, to see when they come into heat. 
I just go off of, I have certain doe groups that I hunt at dirt certain times of the year. Um, and I know kind of like I got a, I got a four pack of does and they, for that first week of November, they are the hottest, you know, maybe they're not even heat, but they are the hottest doe group. Every buck that I have on that property will come check that doe bedding every, every year. Um, and that, that's just, it's one of those things where from the first to the fifth, I just got to be in that area. Cause those bucks are going to be in there checking those does. And, uh, that's kind of how I go about it. People say hunt the doe bedding, which is great. But like you said, you can either track them back on fawns or you can use that past history to say either you're hunting it and there's a shitload of bucks in there, or you went in there one day, there's no buck sign, then it's doe bedding. You went in there the next day, it's all tore up with rubs and scrapes. Or you got trail cam data of a bunch of bucks coming in. Um, and something that I picked up on this year that I haven't heard anybody talk about is those really small scrapes. They're not, they're not community scrapes. They're really, really small scrapes. And I'm finding on these doe bedding that there's one on the north side and there's one on the south side. And I've been running cams on those two scrapes and getting daylight pictures of bucks working that scrape during that time frame on the edge of that doe bedding. Um, and it's like they know the two most dominant winds for that area are northwest, southwest. So they're having those scrapes corresponding on each side of that doe bedding. So if they don't want to go into the doe bedding, they just kind of run the edge downwind, hit this, hit the scrape and then roll on. Um, so that's one thing that I've been trying to put out there is those core corresponding scrapes, you know, North and South. Um, I think that's something I just figured out last year. Like it just hit me as I was scouting so much late season. It just was like, there's another, another, you know, north south scrape this doe bedding situation area, and then you go to do another one. It's the same thing. You go to another one. It's the same thing. You're like, holy shit! I've been missing this for, you know, eight years. <laughs> yeah. No. I. Uh, one thing I've also noticed, um, like you said, the small scrape thing. I've definitely seen that. You see a giant scrape, car hood scrape. You run a camera on it every year. You might get, you know, a couple mature bucks on there. Tons of does. Tons of small bucks. It seems to be, for me at least, the small scrapes I make, like, it might be, oh, I have a couple minutes, I don't have an extra branch to throw on or a vine or something like that. I'm like, ah, oh, you know what, I'll throw a camera up on it. It seems like those are the, I get the most mature bucks on. Yeah. Um, and those and are the ones I've, that are kind of more in cover, it seems like. They're kind of in, like, oh, a, a yep. weird spot that is a little thicker, and you're like, oh, there's a scrape here, I got an extra cam, I'll throw it on, and then there's a giant on it. You know, it's just... It's a, it's and it's funny. a lot of times like you're walking through and you wouldn't have known it was even there if you didn't walk, you know, five feet from the trail. Yeah. Yeah. You look and it's completely covered. Nobody can even see it. You know, there could be a mature buck hitting that and you could be 20 yards away and you'd have no idea. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely noticed I started running cams on video mode. I love that on scrapes. I usually pair that with a self camera or just a regular cam. Um, I definitely noticed bucks just running, kind of checking the scrape, but they won't mark it. Yeah. They'll just keep walking. I noticed and that. That's a lot. definitely one thing I've noticed, like kind of taken in when I'm scouting without cameras. I'm like walking through, I'm like, ah, oh, that scrape's not hit very well. There's, you know, it's not recent. There's leaves on it and there's no hair below it or anything like that. 
keep walking, buck, you know, jump a buck probably 50 yards down the way. You could have killed him right on that scrape. Yeah. I, I've definitely noticed that. So that's definitely one thing to take into account. You know, a buck could be hitting that scrape every day, but come yeah, late October, yeah. those leaves are falling. You might yeah. not know. Yeah. Those leaves are falling a lot quicker, especially if, you know, you had a cold night or a wind, you know, a windy day. That buck could be real close to there, bedded up, and, you know, still active on those scrapes, hitting the licking branches and stuff, but it's just not all raked out. The ones that I see are, like, really raked out are those nighttime, um, you know, field edge scrapes where a buck's spinning, like, 45 seconds, a minute, minute and a half at a scrape. You know, he's just out there just raking, paw and raking, getting up on his back feet, you know, and doing all kinds of work. But those ones, like you said, in the timber, sometimes they're just – walking past those sometimes they just kind of rake the branch one time and then and kind of roll by um and they're just i don't know if they're like it's like a almost like a thing that they just do to kind of like do a checklist as they go out to ag or whatever in the evening or go back to bed or if they're just kind of you know getting some scent to see kind of what's going on and what what bucks are in the area what does are in the area um but that's something like you said those those little bitty scrapes seem to be more more adamant for a bigger deer to hit than the big car hood scrapes for sure. But if you want to get pictures of giants, those car hood scrapes are good as well too, but most of the time it's going to be nighttime. Those community scrapes are going to be nighttime picks. So. Yep. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on, dude. Is there anything else you want to chat about before we wrap this up? No, man. I just want to take a second and uh, appreciate you for uh, texting us for him. Let me know. Let me come on. So yeah, yeah, no problem, man. Like I said, hopefully we can run into each other out there, and uh, hopefully I can help drag out a buck for you this year, man. I'm, I lo- I love to see people, young kids. You know, you know, I know you're not you're not that much younger than me, but I like to see guys that are all about it and putting the work in to to try to be the best they can be. Um, and I want to see you be successful, man. That's why I want to have you on, chat it up, and uh, hopefully some people can follow your season and you have a, a bang up year this year. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It goes both ways for you, too. Hopefully, I get a phone call this year. Yeah. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Like I said, there's some real good talk in this about, you know, never be done learning. Exorb as much content as you can, especially this time of year when we're prepping for season. We're getting those cams out. We're trying to find our target bucks. This is the time to start listening to the podcast, watching the YouTube videos, scooping any knowledge you can, um, shooting the bow, just getting mentally prepared and ready for season during this time that that's the best thing to do right now and and that's what that's what he's out there doing that's what reed's doing is just trying to be the best hunter he can like you said he's a younger guy he's got a couple really good kills down he's just trying to keep moving that motor and uh keep stacking those bucks so i really appreciate him coming on appreciate you guys tuning in all the way to end i love you guys um let's make it another week come back wednesday we'll have some more whitetail content for you guys um, love you guys. Always try to do the right thing. Try to leave a legacy, and Whitetail Legacy is out. So I'm coming in your ear holes next Wednesday, 11 a.m. Central Time. Love you guys. We out.